It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. We've got the whole crew together as we cover Ohio State with our instant analysis from Ohio State. There's something that doesn't feel right. Unbelievable effort from him today. Is EJ Liddell going to crack the first team all Big Ten? I think he can be the guy. I'm not trying to start a quarterback controversy. He seems to have the durability. He certainly has the toughness. This is the question on a lot of people's minds here. Welcome to Buckeye Breakdown. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Buckeye Breakdown as we get ready for the Buckeyes and the Arkansas State Red Wolves, which will be tomorrow. As you watch this, it's Friday morning, and uh, the Buckeyes and Red Wolves kick off week two tomorrow at 12 noon. I'm Brendan Gulick, really happy to be joined by Joshua Perry, former Buckeye, you know him well, but he's going to be on the call for his first regular season Ohio State game coming up on Saturday, and uh, certainly grateful for his time and his perspective on this week's game. Thanks for joining us, Joshua. How are you, man? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be on the show, and I'm excited to be on the call Saturday. I have to imagine that's uh, that's probably pretty quickly full circle for you. To be you know, a, a guy that uh, you didn't grow up in Columbus, but you went to high school here, you got family in Columbus, and you know, to, to have the playing career you had, and then to so quickly come back in a professional setting, what's that like? It's amazing. It's a dream come true. And uh, I'm fortunate to be able to cover the conference that I played in and uh, schools that I grew up watching and obviously the school that I grew up cheering for and playing for. Um, that's a blessing, but also being able to highlight and recognize these student athletes, which I think is the most important part of the job, has been an absolute pleasure for me. Um, getting to know coaches has been great. And it's, uh, it's, it's just fun breaking down football. I, I tell people all the time, I could be digging ditches for a living. Instead, I get to get up and talk about something I would talk about for free and somebody pays me to do it. So I'm fortunate. Love that. Love that. Uh, we will watch you on Saturday afternoon with Mark Followill, a terrific play-by-play personality out of the Dallas area, and Elise Meneker, who's got a great career she's had. Uh, she'll be down on the sidelines. It's a, a great crew, and, and we're excited as Buckeye Nation to see that you're a part of that. Um, why don't we just start from a 10,000-foot view, looking backwards at last week. You know, we'll, we'll talk Arkansas State in a second, but you had a chance to finally see what that new defense was going to look like. That was the number one, two, and three question of the offseason. How can the Buckeyes fix the defense? What uh, what were your initial impressions? Well, you flip the game on early on. You have an explosive play to start, and, you know, some of the Buckeye fans are, ah, here we go again. And that Ohio State defense tightened up. And uh, a 10-point performance against a, a team like Notre Dame, who's in the top 10, I think is great. The second half shutout really stands out to me. But when you flip on the game tape and you really start to analyze what this defense was doing, I think it's such a departure from what it looked like the last couple of years. In previous years, it was very static defense. The looks were very similar as an offense. There wasn't a lot of pre-snap reads and communication you had to do. Single high safety, you make a determination whether it's man-to-man or three deep, essentially, and you kind of knew what Ohio State was bringing. And that can work with really great players, but you also have to have every single answer for all of the looks that you're going to get. And it felt like it got to a point where the answers weren't there. So enter Jim Knowles, and he's a guy who has every look in the defense, and it keeps offenses guessing. He, he told me during the spring, 
He wants to play offense on defense. He wants offenses to have to react to the defense instead of the other way around. So what does that look like? You get three down looks with the defensive lineman. It could be a combination of body types in there, which I really appreciate. You get that quote unquote spinner, um, call it the Jack. Some people call it the Leo, but that defensive lineman who's kind of moving around, he could be a dropper. He could be a rusher. It's extremely challenging for offenses to adjust to that. Then you've got the four down looks in the front, of course, which is a little bit more typical, but Jim Knowles isn't going to play a typical. He's going to bring the pressures behind it. He's going to be rolling the safety. So you never know what coverage they're in. Uh, I think it's aggressive. I think it's fun. I think it's fast. As we move forward this year, one of the things I will be on the lookout for is when Ohio State starts to see some of the better wide receiver groups throughout the Big Ten, how do you handle playing that man-to-man aggressive defense? Can you make sure that you don't let guys get behind you? And can you make the tackles in space? That'll be the key for the, the success of this defense. But the early returns to me, players are confident they're playing fast. And offenses are really trying to get a beat on what's coming from this defense. And I think those two things are extremely important. A lot to unpack. And why don't we go maybe on the on the individual side? You know, you mentioned that Jack position. It was pretty obvious right away that Jack Sawyer looked like the kind of player that as an opposing quarterback, you better figure out where 33 is standing if he's on the field. Might be in a three-point, might be in a two-point. He might be inside or outside. Uh, but you get the impression that with his strength and speed – He's a really unique combination at that position. When you see Jack Sawyer and what you studied from him last year as a freshman in you know a limited sense, but certainly high potential, where do you see that Jack has taken a noticeable step forward here this year? I think it's the understanding of offensive football, and that comes from understanding the defense, and he's had plenty of time in the film room there. But I think the greatest defensive players understand what offenses are trying to achieve and they understand how that impacts the way that defense can be played. So you look at a kid like Jack Sawyer, and the ability to move around like that comes from understanding of the game. And you can see that. And he's playing the game a little bit because a lot of times he's not getting lined up until right before the snap. Uh, And so he knows what he's trying to manipulate in certain looks and certain defenses, and that plays to the advantage. But you talk about the physical skills too, and a year more of development has really helped him. His body looks phenomenal. He has this really unique uh, sense of power in his game to where he can use the speed, but he's got natural strength. And that combination, I think, is really lethal. And his spatial awareness has gotten gotten better, too. And I think that's one of the most difficult things as a guy who has probably played with his hand in the dirt most of his career and has kind of seen more north and south where now you have different dimensions out in space that you got to deal with. Um, I thought he handled that extremely well. But that versatility is necessary, especially considering – the way that D-line group looked on Saturday. Uh, The ability to plug and play those guys on different spots on the defensive line is going to pay dividends for Ohio State. The Buckeyes certainly have said they wanted to play depth at the defensive line. Um, It looks like the top end of that depth chart is pretty darn good, and maybe we're going to see some continued growth from the guys that are knocking on the door on regular playing time. JT Tuimolowau obviously is a super highly recruited kid, and he looked really, really solid in week one. Teron Vincent had a pretty nice game. Jack Sawyer had a nice game. But if you don't talk about Michael Hall on the defensive line, you, you miss the conversation. Obviously, he was he was reasonably highly recruited. You know, a guy from Northeast Ohio went to Streetsboro. Um, that week one was a little bit, or I should say year one, maybe a little raw and wasn't going to get on the field regularly. 
but had a huge offseason. And we had started to kind of hear, you know, the last couple of weeks, hey, this guy's got a chance to be really, really good. If he plays in the game like he did in practice the last couple of weeks, look out. And, and Michael Hall had sort of his, you know, welcome to Buckeye Nation moment uh, pretty quickly in week one. When you study somebody that has his size, his power, and you think about the interior defensive linemen for Arkansas State who are big dudes, but maybe don't move super well. Thinking about Michael Hall, what he's got, how do you work against, for example, a 350-pound left guard or 330-pound right guard to try to clog the middle repeatedly this week? Yeah, I think it's going to be a difficult challenge for Arkansas State. I mean, Mike Hall, you mentioned the combination of his size and his speed and his power. It is uncanny. Um, and I remember Kevin Wilson talking about him during training camp, like, uh, you know, we don't have – Many teams don't have a guy like that who hadn't been a rotational player really uh, that can emerge the way that he had. He showed us what he could do Saturday. Now, game plan wise, it's really difficult to handle a guy like that. Like you think you want to kind of play the game going past him. Like you don't want to run right at him, but he's got good change of direction. He's got pretty good awareness on the interior there. Saw kind of the way that he was swiping past some of the offensive linemen, getting them to lean uh, over their toes, over their knees. Those guys were ending up finishing on their stomach, which is a bad place to finish as an offensive lineman. Um, I, I truly don't know what you do with a guy like that. Maybe you try to send double teams at him, but then what do you do with the rest of the guys on the defense? It, it becomes really difficult to try to game plan against that. And just talking about Arkansas State across the offensive line as a whole, one of the things that jumped out to me is their body types, it feels like even on the edges are more guard body types. It doesn't feel like they have that elite length and in college football is becoming a length sport right now. And so I think Ohio state's going to have advantages everywhere. Uh, I want to touch on JT real quick because he popped on tape to me last year. Um, Ohio state had a lot of trouble uh, against some of the counter schemes that other teams were running. But when JT was in there, it might not have always been perfect, but he was knocking somebody on their behind. And you saw a continuation of that. Uh, here's a guy who, can stand just with a good base, knock a guard off of his feet, and then you watch him when he gets into his pass rush and his feet and his hips and his hands all work together. He's got a really violent swipe, chop, rip. Um, it just it feels like a very good technical player that has elite traits and ability. Um, and so for all the conversation about the last couple of years, does Ohio State have – that Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, Chase Young type of guy. I'm not saying that any of these guys are going to be top five picks, but what I'm saying is they got some guys who are ready to emerge. <laughs> Larry Johnson's pretty good at teaching technique, isn't he? He is. He's great. <laughs> He's one of the best in the business, if not yep. the best. And, and certainly in the conversation, truly for the best of all time. He's been really, really impressive. Let's move back to the linebackers for a minute. I don't want to do a position-by-position position breakdown with you, but Tommy Eichenberg obviously you know, took – incredible growth last year from the beginning to the end of the season. He sort of had his banner moment in the Rose Bowl, which was awesome. Um, and everybody had talked about how, okay, if Tommy's going to be the guy as the Mike linebacker, you know, what can he do beyond being a, an inside zone run stuffer? And to me, the things that most impressed me this past weekend were watching Tommy chase Tyler Buckner to the boundary or find ways to, to show like, no, I got that step and I'm not going to let somebody outrun me. Um, 
I don't know if he's got an NFL future as a, as a longtime player, but this kid works so hard. He's so humble and his teammates love him. When, when you study somebody like Tommy and you think about defensive leaders, what is it to you about Tommy Eichenberg that makes you think, Hey, if the silver bullets are going to be back this year, this is the guy they can rally around. I think he's just got a lot of resolve. Like he was a guy even last year when people weren't satisfied with the way that he played, he never quit. It never seemed like a, a guy who took anything to heart from outside of the program, always felt like he was trying to build himself up. And uh, again, flipping on the tape of him, I think one of the biggest things that has helped him improve is clarity in this defense. And, and you talked about his Rose Bowl performance, and, and I think that was more of that resolve that I talked about. He had to have a performance like that for Ohio State to be able to win that football game. Now you fast forward a year later, he's a guy who plays really fast because he knows exactly what he's asked to do. And I think that's a difference maker. I can go back to 2013 when I was playing, I was a sophomore. We had an extremely complicated defense um, where, you know, you get a shift or a motion. We're checking out of one defense to another. We're playing hybrid coverages, a lot of communication involved. And uh, sometimes it bogs you down. You don't know where to go. Last year wasn't the fact that they were playing a complicated defense. I think it was the fact that the answers weren't there. And so guys are kind of guessing and I'm going to be patient until it's time to really go. So I know where I'm supposed to be. And now Jim Knowles is telling these guys, just pin your ear, ears back and, and get vertical, like cause havoc, run through gaps. I'm watching them uh, against the power play. The guard pulls. And a lot of times coaches will tell you, get over the top and then make the play on that side. And it seems like Jim Knowles is saying, nah, just run through that gap where he vacated and make the play from the backside. Just knife in there. Um, on these blitz patterns, like the blitz ain't going to hit it perfect every time. Don't try to hit it perfect. Just hit it aggressively and then create some havoc and get up the field. And I think he's really taken to that mentality. Um, for players, all you ever really want is clarity. You just want to know where you stand. Am I doing well? Am I doing poorly? What can I change? Where do I need to be? Just tell me that and I'm going to do it. And that's what Tommy Eichenberg has done. And it's been phenomenal so far. Let's go to the offensive side of the ball. I know everybody wants to talk about CJ and, and Jackson. I want to go running back for a second first, because I think there were a lot of people that watched week one and had last year still in the memory bank and thinking, okay, Travion's got this incredible top-level speed, this burst, this home run ability. Mayan seems to be the guy that can get tough yards. And in a game like last week, I mean, I was reading on message boards and, and through social media, people were really clamoring for Mayan Williams to get more touches. I'm curious how you see a running back who, who maybe has a better overall skill set with Travion starting the game, taking maybe – the lion's share of the really meaningful carries through those first three quarters before in the fourth quarter, you've got Mayan who is powerful and fresh and how much of a difference that made in a game that you had to grind out a win. Well, I, I think you got to play the hot hand. I think you got to call it the way that the game dictates. So if you're Ryan day, you start off with Travion Henderson and you stay pretty much in, in your base offense and how you want to attack it. So um, you know, it's using Travion in multiple ways, but also a lot of that is predicated off of the pass game being successful, maybe to loosen up that box a little bit and to create some of those running lanes. And as you get deeper into the game and, and you know, Notre Dame maybe starts bringing those safeties in a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage, you, you need that downhill back who's going to get you the tough yards on the ground. I think this is a perfect situation for Ohio State because you have two very distinct backs that have different styles of running. So, you can deploy them differently. You can keep either guy fresh. 
uh, keep them in rotation. And then you can play literally to, to what the game needs. And I think the ability to adjust like that and to, you know, put whatever your original game plan is to the side. Say, you know what, you got to throw it out because this game isn't going the way that we had originally planned it and roll with a guy like mine. I think that's phenomenal. So I, I'm pleased with both of those guys. Um, I don't want people to get too far ahead of themselves and say that, you know, maybe Mayan needs the, the lion's share of carries. I think that there is a role for both of those guys. Uh, Trevion Henderson's probably going to turn around one of these games and run for 200 yards, and then nobody's going to be talking about Mayan. But uh, if you ask those guys in that room, I bet you both of them are satisfied with the fact that you can roll out multiple guys and be successful either way. I mean, Trevion was, without a sliver of a doubt, the most excited guy on the sideline when Mayan had basically, you know, run the second half of that last drive, punched it down to the three and, and kind of looked at the sideline and Trevion basically told him, you're, you're not coming out of the game, go finish it. Uh, and then when he did the next play, he was the happiest guy out there. I, I love the camaraderie between those two guys. It really feels like they're, they're pretty selfless. Let's go to CJ Stroud for a second here. You know, his, his stat line week one was fine. It wasn't particularly impressive. And I think too often fans look at, okay, did a guy throw for 300 yards or did it complete, you know, 85% of his passes? Like, how do we figure out if he had a good game or not? I, I want to know what you think. As I saw it, CJ had a rather professional-looking performance where he didn't lead anybody into a spot where they were going to get smoked. He didn't turn the ball over in critical spots. He made a couple of crazy good throws on the run. Uh, and and sometimes from the pocket, put it in a tight window. I saw a much more mature quarterback in game one this year than we did last year. How did you see his performance last week? I think it's important to echo what you just said. Like, C.J. Stroud has set such a high bar for what his performances should look like that, you know, 220 yards or 230 yards or whatever it was looks pedestrian. It's like, that's not that impressive. And it is. Like, we have to acknowledge that. Um, you're playing a Notre Dame team with a defensive head coach that is a really good team, highly ranked opponent, great players on the other side. There was going to be resistance. I had talked about this on uh, one of the studio shows for Big Ten Network uh, on the Tuesday leading into that game. I'm like, guys, I, I want people to understand that there will be resistance. This isn't going out and, and, and you know, you're not, you're not playing a directional Michigan school. This isn't a Mac school. This is Notre Dame. Uh, things are going to be tough. Um, and so I thought CJ handled that well. I think the biggest thing that he did well to me was uh, he didn't get anxious. He didn't get impatient. He just kept playing the game. Um, you can look at a couple of situations where you see those early season adjustments that need to happen. The wide receivers and the quarterback maybe aren't on the same page. And that's what happens when you got new guys out there playing wide out. Um, maybe CJ didn't see the field perfectly on a couple of the pressures that were coming. Again, you're not used to seeing heat like that in the first game of the year. And so it takes a little bit of time to get adjusted to that. I'm satisfied with what he did. And I'm confident also that he is unsatisfied in the fact that he knows that he can be a better quarterback down the line. And so there's this balancing act that goes on within the program where, you have to be patient. You have to take things one game at a time. I think you have to recognize the things that went well, uh, but also you have to continue to strive to be great. And I know that's exactly what CJ is going to do. I know that's how Ryan Day thinks. And so this is a great starting point for those guys. If there is one point of disappointment, um, I think the first half could have been just a little bit cleaner. 
Um, but like I keep saying, it, when you open up with, you know, Colorado State, like first half's going to look great. Uh, when you open up with Notre Dame, first half might look a little bit icky. I like that you picked Colorado State. I don't think that was by accident. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Uh, Joshua Perry, the terrific analyst for Big Ten Network and other places, by the way, uh, our guest. He's got the call on Saturday afternoon. You can follow our podcast, Buckeye Breakdown, uh, either live on our YouTube channel most mornings uh, or wherever you like to get your favorite podcasts after the fact. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. One more question about personnel groupings, and then we'll kind of move to some other broader topics. Um, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba is obviously not 100%. I don't know if he's going to play. You could make an argument that he shouldn't play. You might make an argument if he's healthy that he could be out there for a little while just to try to get some rhythm going. Whatever the case is, the Buckeyes have said, look, we, we want to take care of his health first and foremost, and, and he's not going to play if he's not 100% healthy. So let's assume for a moment that maybe he doesn't play this Saturday and the spotlight continues to shine on a Mecca Egbuka Marvin Harrison Jr. and the rest of that room, which now suddenly to, to a lot of fans includes Xavier Johnson after that big catch uh, and Jaden Ballard, who saw a lot of time this past weekend, maybe Julian Fleming is healthy enough to play too. At, at, from a chemistry perspective, how difficult, it, from what you've seen in your playing career, how difficult is it, even though guys might have incredible talent where, where you see them in practice make that one out of a hundred catch where they high point a ball over the top of a defender or whatever it is. How, how long has it typically taken from your perspective to watch a quarterback who has a little bit of poise start to bring receivers along that maybe have talent, but not the game experience yet? A couple few games. I think that's a, a pretty natural progression for these things to happen. I, I think what's good now is you had the big test and, um, you really you you learned a lot more about yourself than you would have if you were playing a lesser opponent in week one. So you have that information that you can take out to the practice field and then you can incorporate into the next week's game plan. And now you get a chance to go test it out against an opponent that is going to be overmatched. And so for those guys, I think that helps a ton uh, with getting into rhythm, with feeling comfortable, with gaining confidence out there on the football field. I think CJ's role is extremely important, obviously in telling those guys what he expects and what he likes and how the great players before did it. Um, he has that perspective that he can share with the young guys. But I think the young guys also have an opportunity to communicate with their quarterback in things that they feel comfortable with and things that they feel like they need to get better on. And they can all help each other through that process. And so I think 
as much of it happens on game day and they need to be on point and to see the looks from different teams and to get comfortable in the stadium and all the different things that come along. Um, sitting down in the film room is as important going out there and working um, during practice is as important as those things. And, and quite frankly, I don't really worry about either one of those groups getting right. Um, when you put Corey Dennis and Ryan Day together with Brian Hartline and you, you tell them like, hey, these guys got to be top end as the season goes on. This has got to be the best group in America. I am confident that those guys get it done. <laughs> they have certainly figured it out a time or two before. Um, okay, maybe away from the the current crop of players and just from your perspective as a an alum of Ohio State football, how pleased are you with the state of the program, um, both currently and the prospect of what you know you think Ohio State football can continue to be during a time where college football seems to be changing by the day? Well, Ohio State's in a great position, I think, compared to most schools in the country. Um, you look from a recruiting standpoint, Ohio is an easy place to get to. And we have created national recruiting inroads from the time that I was there up until now at Ohio State. So I, I think that's a given that you can go out and get players from a name, image and likeness perspective. You're talking about a huge brand, a college town that is also a huge city. And I think of Austin, Texas, maybe as the only other place that is a true college town that's also a big city. Um, a lot of places don't really have that advantage like Ohio State does. So I think they're great there. Um, Ryan Day is the leader that you want in 99% of the ways because he is a guy who can connect with players and um, you know he's big on family and he's honest and he is a great football mind who can attract really good assistant coaches and build a program up that way. Um, and so I'm really satisfied. And I know a lot of people will go back to, you know, the Michigan game and, and they'll make that the critique. And um, although that is as important as anything around Ohio State, the other thing I would say is dude hasn't lost a lot of games. I don't anticipate that he loses a lot of games. Um, he makes it to the college football playoff like anybody else in the country. And uh, Ohio State should be in position to compete for a national championship again this year. So um, I love the way that it's been built. I love the way that it's been passed off from coaching staff to coaching staff as well. I think that's important. And I, I also really love the quality of student athlete that is within the program. And, uh, you know, it's, you want top flight players, like you want the guys who are going to be playing on Sundays. And that's certainly important. But you also want guys who represent the brand of the university extremely well, who, rep who represent themselves in the community, um, and I think that Ohio State has found the best of both worlds. You're not hearing about a bunch of guys getting in trouble and um, they're not embarrassing themselves or the program. And uh, there's a lot of guys who are going to be playing on Sunday. So you got it all. Man, I totally agree. And, and it's it's so obvious when we talk to a lot of these guys on a weekly basis. They're polite. They're professional. They're well-spoken. Uh, most of them are pretty direct. You, you just get the impression that today's student athlete is pretty aware of all the stuff that's going on off the field that they know they need to handle right if they want to have the right career for themselves. Because a lot of these kids grew up in the era where social media started to become a popular thing. And, and a lot of times people were telling these kids from a young age, be careful what you put out there because you don't know what that perception could do to you later. Well, I, I would say this too about recruiting to Ohio State is you, you have to recruit a certain profile of kid because right. of what the university is. Um, you know, like you can't just have any old body 
because this is it's it's the hottest thing smoking in the state of Ohio. It's the biggest thing in Columbus. All eyes are on the program. You're playing on a national platform like every game. Everybody's talking about you. Everybody's watching you. And you have to have a certain kid that can handle that. And I think Ryan Day and his staff have done a really good job of pinpointing those kids that can handle this moment. They can make the most of it on the field. They can take advantage of the opportunities that presented themselves off the field. They get it done in the classroom. Like it's that is a difficult task is handpicking a guy. And Urban used to talk about this. I thought um, his philosophy around it was really unique, but he used to tell us all the time that every player that was in that program was handpicked because they were cut from a certain cloth that they should be at the Ohio State University. And I think Ryan Day has taken that to heart. Mark Pantone, obviously a huge part of that. He's continued that tradition up from Urban, but like you got to have a different guy. That, that's the only way it works at Ohio State. Few more minutes with Joshua Perry as we talk about Ohio State and Arkansas State. Uh, we'll get to some keys to the game for the Buckeyes in just a moment. But first, uh, I'm curious on your perspective on the uh, college football playoff expansion. Fans have been clamoring for it. Kind of felt like a Friday news dump the way that they just sort of put it out there last week. Uh, your thoughts on is 12 the right number? Did you want the playoff to expand in the first place? And and how do you think this affects the future of college football? You want my honest thoughts? Yeah, hit me. 12 is too many. Okay. I, uh, I, I've struggled with this for so long, and I understand the attraction of 12. And I know a lot of the, the other media people would tell me I'm stupid, but um, I, I think 12 is entirely too many. Um, mm. Now, from my media perspective, like, give me all the games. Like, I, sure. I love talking about games. I love watching games. I love analyzing games. And, um, you know, more inventory and, and, and more important games means more money for the networks. Like I financially could benefit from this. Like it's great from that regard. Um, in, in practice, like is 12 teams the right pool? And I don't know if I can get there. And if you look at the teams that would have made it last year, you would have had a Utah team in there that Ohio state saw in the Rose bowl. And I respect Utah as a program. I think they've done a phenomenal job of building, of recruiting, of, staying nationally relevant, and that's a, a difficult spot to do it from. Um, I think there were a three-loss team heading into the, the final game or whatever the case is. So you're telling me that a three-loss team deserves to compete for a national championship the same way that a team that maybe had zero losses or one loss in the Big Ten or the SEC does. I don't know if I can fully get there. Um, you are like, what happens to the schedules? Like, are kids going to be going from the end of one semester, they're, they're not going home over the holiday, then they're going to be playing games at the beginning of the next semester. And I know basketball does this and other sports, um, but that it becomes difficult for me to get there from the academic standpoint. Um, I thought six would have been a perfect number. You give the top two teams a bye, you let the other teams duke it out. Like that would have been a really fun setup to me. But to say that 12 teams can actually win a national title in any year. I disagree with most years. I don't think there are more than three teams. You could talk me into maybe six teams being able to actually pull that off in a majority of years. Um, 12, no. And then I heard a take from somebody I respect in this space that I totally agree with or uh, disagree with. But they're like, oh, you know, if we, we get to, to celebrate more teams this way and, and we define success differently for teams and I don't want to sound like the no participation trophies guy, but like celebrate, celebrate, define success. Like, like you lose 
You win or you lose. In the regular season, like that's that's how you define success. And we're at a, a place with the college football playoff too, mind you, where strength of schedule, which this I think may may or may not incentivize people to see. But if you lost two games, you're basically out right now. And I feel like that's a pretty good way to define success, like win your games. Um, so I'm happy in many regards to open this up. There are going to be some student athletes that have phenomenal experiences that they wouldn't have had on a championship run and being able to compete for longer. I'm all for it. From a practical standpoint, too many. I, I am hopeful that it might help make for more parity in the sport because I think right now there, it, there's there's a level of like the teams that are constantly there and the teams that are trying to get there. I yeah, agree. It's... 12 feels too much to me. I would have gone the route of eight because yeah. I like the idea of rewarding a conference champion in, in every other sport and at every other level, including every other sport of division one, winning your conference means you get to play in the postseason. Yeah. I would like to see a setup where the five power five champions all get bids to play in the playoffs, even if, you know, now the conferences may end up changing a bit. Oh. Um, I like the idea of having one Cinderella team, the, the Cincinnati's of the world, you get right. the best group of five team. And then the next two teams that are clearly, you know, the two other best teams in the country, you can get eight together that way. I could also get on board with six. I didn't love 12, but I, I like it better than four. So the, um, I, I'm actually, I'm actually fully against automatic qualifiers as well. Really? I, I like at large. I like it's hard for me to say that a a group of five team is more deserving of automatically getting in there than a maybe an Ohio State last year or one of these teams in the SEC that you lose your championship game, but you're a phenomenal team. You probably end up getting in in one of the at large, but like, I mean, in, in many years, you could probably point to an instance where the group of five team might be, you know, the really the 13th best team or whatever, but they're just sure. undefeated. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult for me to get there. I just want all the best teams, regardless of where they come from. Like if the PAC 12 stinks or if the big 12 stinks, they don't need to be in the show. I don't like, it does not affect me one way or the other. And it's the same thing. If the big Ten's down, then they're just down. Like put the best teams in there. Um, so yeah, I, I've got, I've got a lot of thoughts, a lot of opinions on this college football playoff thing. Before you know it, we're going to be at 24 teams and you know, everybody's getting <laughs> in. We're going to take the top three from this conference, take the top three from that conference. It's just going to be a whole thing. <laughs> uh, I love your passion about it. And, and I think it's such a cool debate because a lot of us feel differently about what the right answer is, uh, and and hopefully we come to a solution that makes sense that doesn't get out of control. And we never have to come to a solution, though. That's that's the biggest thing about it is if we never come to a solution that makes sense, we never have things. Uh, we'll never run out of things to talk about. We'll always that's have true. something to it's argue good for about. Us. So that's fun. It's good for us. Yeah, let's uh, let's wrap focus back on on Ohio State's game this weekend. Um, I mean, look, they're they're a more than six touchdown favorite against Arkansas state. And, and I certainly don't mean this as disrespectful to Butch Jones and his, you know, his program as they try to build something in the Sun Belt. They had, uh, I believe I heard that they had the number one ranked recruiting class in the conference coming in this yeah. year. They've got, 
you know, transfer kids from some really good programs. They clearly have some skill position guys that are good. Their defense took a huge step forward in the second half of the year last year. Like they're, they're getting better, but the Buckeyes aren't going to lose the game this weekend to, to the Red Wolves. So when, when you think about the kinds of games like this, where you're in Ohio state and you're playing a bye game and you're, you know, you're trying to get stuff accomplished and stay healthy and get in a rhythm. Uh, is there anything that stands out to you that you think the Buckeyes are really trying to accomplish here this weekend? Yeah, I think they want to display maturity. So what that means is you come out professionally, you handle business early on, you get the crowd involved. Um, you don't have mistakes, penalties, um, substitution errors, those types of situations. You take care of the football. You don't let the ball go over your head on defense. Like those are the biggest things that you can grade in a game like this, because those are the things that matter in any game that you play in. And those are quite honestly, the things that would keep an overmatched team like Arkansas state in the game. So I, I think that's where the conversation starts, but you mentioned uh, some of the talent infusion that's happened with this Arkansas state roster. And I, I think it's important to understand too, that um, Ohio state needs to take those players seriously. Those guys aren't just going to roll over. Um, you got Blackman who transferred in from Florida State and I believe he was top 10 in passing yards or some passing touchdowns maybe before he left there. Um, he's taking a big step forward in terms of his maturity and in terms of the way that he sees the field in terms of having answers. So that means when your first read isn't there, how do you fix it so you can get to your next read and make the right play or even throw the ball away or eat the ball, whatever that may look like. Um, they've got a running back who repurposes his body. He's got better stamina than he ever has in his career. It's important there. They've got tight ends that can be multiple, uh, whether they're inline blockers, whether they're guys that can get down the football field. Um, I think like most schools at their level, their offensive line has some real issues and it's going to be a challenge. And um, defensive line wise as well, uh, they've got athletes. I don't think they've got a great defensive line, um, but they're, they're going to play in a very aggressive style of defense. One of the things that I saw when I was breaking down the tape of them is they, they run six man pressures and, They'll play man-to-man behind it, but they do this other thing that we used to do at Ohio State, and it's super challenging for quarterbacks, is uh, it's called a hot blitz. And so what it is, is you run a six-man pressure, and then you have a 2-under-3-D coverage behind it. And a lot of times it looks very static before the snap, and the quarterback doesn't know that the pressure's coming. And then you got six guys uh, barreling down at you, and you're trying to find the one-on-one, but these guys aren't – they're not on body. And sometimes you have a player that'll step in front of a football because the quarterback doesn't see what zone he's covering. Uh, And so you got to be prepared for things like that against this team. And I'm certain that they're not going to hold back on their aggression. They have nothing to lose by being aggressive. The ball goes over your head. It could have gone over your head playing static defense anyway. You could have had a four-man rush and the same thing happens. Um, So those are the things I'm going to look for. All of that to say Ohio State should be able to handle every single bit of it. But I I think this is a well-coached team. Butch Jones spent time around Nick Saban and I was on the coach's call with him earlier in the week. And he had talked about the things that he learned and how that has changed his paradigm in coaching, not only from program building and some of the things that he does. And he's got some overlap overlap with Urban Meyer. Um, They're pretty close friends. And so a lot of the program building aspects are similar to what Ohio State was under Urban, but also the way that he manages games and I talked to Brett Bielema about this and his time in New England with Bill Belichick, and he was very upfront about it too. But those guys felt like they had an opportunity to go back to school at a midpoint in their career and to learn in ways that other coaches don't get to learn 
and then to implement that into their programs. And so that says that this is going to be a well-coached football team that probably won't make a ton of mistakes either. So Ohio State's going to be challenged in certain ways. It's just the fact that the personnel is so overwhelming when you're Ohio State that all you have to do is execute the game plan as prescribed by your coaches, and you'll be successful. The Buckeyes certainly uh, are looking forward to getting into a good rhythm, uh, and we are really excited to watch the game both in person and then very quickly thereafter watch it again uh, on the replay if you're not at home uh, the first time around. Joshua Perry will be on the call. Former Buckeye, we're awfully proud of you in Buckeye Nation for your rapid rise through uh, the media ranks after you had a great playing career and uh, really look forward to, to watching you this weekend, man. Thanks for being so gracious with your time. This was really cool. No, it'll be a lot of fun. I'm glad to be back in Columbus for a game. It's been a little while, and I appreciate you allowing me to come on your platform. Buckeye Breakdown available on our YouTube channel. We'd love it if you'd subscribe there. You can also find it wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And for all the latest news and information on Ohio State football, head over to BuckeyesNow.com. For Joshua Perry, I'm Brendan Gulick. We'll see you on Saturday at the Shoe. Ohio State and Arkansas State kickoff week two, 12 noon in Columbus.